Hello and welcome to Midnight Showing. I'm Nash, that's Luke, and this week the random movie we watched at midnight was Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Was it worth it? That's what we're here to tell you. And don't worry, we will notify you before we start spoiling. So, Luke. Nash, you know, something about Harrison Ford just really reminds me of Thanksgiving. <laughs> you can almost smell the turkey when you see his chiseled jaw. All right, bro, like, I, I can't describe it, but th- something about Harrison Ford movies and Thanksgiving just go together so well. So I'm glad that we're doing this little Blade Runner, uh, Blade Runner extravaganza during uh, Thanksgiving week, my friend. It's because he really is the all-American actor. He, yeah, he, re- he really is, uh, like, fa- family-friendly to the max. So we got Blade Runner. Uh, pretty famous movie. Let's uh, run through the cast pretty quickly. So we got Harrison Ford, of course, playing Rick Deckard. Um, talk about battling the mortal existence, and is it even a mortal existence? Who knows? Then we got <laughs> Rutger Hauer playing Roy Batty as the uh, main villain of the film. He does a really interesting job. Excited to talk to talk about his character. Then we got Mary Sean Young playing Rachel, another character really just. Battling with existence. God, this movie already in the <laughs> intro. <laughs> then we got Daryl Hannah playing Pris, who is um, the other antagonist of the film. And then I also put William Sanderson as a JF Sebastian because I thought he played a really interesting character. And like, I don't know how he walks around his house at like three in the morning to go get water from the fridge with those freaky little things walking around, bro. It's <laughs> the crap out of me all the time. Yeah. It's, uh,. It's pretty terrifying. Anyway, we'll bleep that. We'll bleep that out with some sound. I'm sure. Um, let's talk about this director because he definitely is a famous one. I'd say. You know, dude. Um, he. I feel like he's one of those famous actors where you know his name, but you don't necessarily know all the stuff he's done. Yeah, he's um, very good actor. Uh, probably. Is, it's kind of hard to say what his most famous movie after this one. Alien. I know he did Alien. I know he did Gladiator. I'd I I um, I I'd, I'd say Alien because like I feel like whenever I've heard Ridley Scott, it's been like Ridley Scott's Alien or like he's the dude who's like the pioneer of sci-fi, which is clear from looking at Blade Runner or Alien. But I was actually surprised to know that he did Gladiator, dude. Like one of the greatest movies of all time, right, bro? Yeah, right. It does seem kind of out of like his wheelhouse with that sci-fi description, but I mean, it's probably one of the best movies ever made I'd straight say. up yeah no i, to- so, I totally yeah. agree he also did the, the martian with matt damon a couple years ago so he it's not it's yeah. not even like he has to do like sci-fi movies that are just super out there he can do like kind of a a fun movie too the guy definitely we definitely like don't need to sit here and talk about how good of a director ridley scott is when for like 40 years he's just been killing the game and clearly influenced so much stuff so since we're talking about how influential this movie is uh one of the reasons Nash and I think it's really influential is the world that it builds and not only the world that it builds, but the way it defines it. So let me define it for you people who are still on the fence about watching it. I don't know why you would be 40 years later, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) it was released in 1982 and this film is set in the future of 2019. That's when Nash and I graduated from uh, college and I must say the world was looking just like this when we graduated college i know i know a few right <laughs> <laughs> um so we're, we're we're in la in the year 2019 and this is um post apocalypse not like not post-apocalyptic kind of i guess it's it's a different world stuff has happened that this is a different world and we can tell that we're in the future essentially and the tyrell corporation has created highly intelligent robots almost identical to humans called replicants and this is different from like 
let's say, Skynet with a Terminator or something where it's just robots. These replicants are really, like, humans, honestly, in that way, you know? I think that's yeah. that, that's pretty important to define in the way that this artificial intelligence is used. And um, essentially because of a recent uprising from the replicants, they have been deemed illegal on Earth, and uh, this story follows a Blade Runner, a police force... Um, a police task force designed entirely for the purpose of hunting these replicants. And um, we're going along with Rick Deckard, who is Harrison Ford, who is the Blade Runner. So that's pretty much the world we're in is way in the future. A lot of stuff's happened. This is not the 2019 yeah. that everyone remembers before the legendary year of 2020. It's um, it's far removed from reality, bro. Not 16 blocks. <laughs> <laughs> no, not 16 blocks <coughs> at all. So, if you think that you can look at this trailer and find a bit more context for yourself, you're not really going to find that. <laughs> uh, with that being said, um, the trailer isn't very revealing, obviously, and if anything, it honestly alludes to the movie's overall complexity. The trailers, it seems like it's, I think it's a good one. It's just very quick, in that all the shot, all the shots are very quick cuts yeah. in the trailer, they're all have somebody else talking in the movie. They're taking dialogue from it and putting it over it. And it doesn't really give you any sort of sense of order. You know, dude, I w it, honestly, I would argue that like a trailer isn't even important for this movie. Cause like, how are you really going to encompass this movie into a trailer? Like, honestly, dude, like I would be so stressed if that was my job as an editor it would be like, make a trailer for Ridley Scott's Blade Runner and make it make sense to people. <laughs> That'd be such a yeah, hard right? task, right? <laughs> it's like, let me make sure the movie makes sense to me first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what, uh, what, uh, themis and motifs can we, <laughs> um, a lot. A lot. Um, it's one of those movies, bro. So, like, I made jokes about battling with your existence. That's obviously, like, a, a joke and ex exaggeration. But at the same time, like, it re I feel like it really is about that exploration of self and, like, what it means to be a human is kind of an ambiguous statement. So I don't want to leave it at what it means to be a human. But it is kind of the idea of what life actually is and the way that things have happened throughout history and just the way that it affects all of us as a whole. You kind of know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. No, definitely. It's very. I think it's important to define the fact that it is sort of intertwined. So I think you put that very well. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um. This this is one of those ones that I can't really I don't want to dive into motifs and themes before I can really like start dissecting stuff with you because again just like the trailer I don't know how to like give like little hints and tricks about this movie it's so dense yeah, bro it's, you know it's very it's it's very difficult to do that I think so let's get right to it Luke are you going to give this movie a thumbs up or a thumbs down got to be a thumbs up dude no I feel like no sane movie critic can look at this movie and not appreciate it for at least a couple things you know. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree with that. I give this movie a thumbs up, 100%. So, now that we have given you a taste of the movie, we really don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it yet, even though it's been, you know, like four decades. So, if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our channel, and pause this video so you can check this one out for yourself. Oh my gosh, yeah. wow, this movie. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Bro, so uh. I'm, I'm going to be totally upfront. This was my first time watching this movie, and you've seen it, and you actually told me this was one of your favorite movies. And when it comes to Harrison Ford, I feel like it's really easy to just be like Han Solo or Indiana Jones, when in reality, the, the dude is the definitely- president. A, Or Or what, what movie? 
<laughs> or the president. Or the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, dude. But I, I so I I wanted I wanted to look at more Harrison Ford movies in that light to to get that feeling of like okay, he's not just Han Solo; he's a really decorated actor who knows what he's doing, right? Um, yeah. So when you said Blade Runner, I was like, yo, I've actually never sat down and watched it. I think I tried one time, but I wasn't in the mood to watch it. And this is definitely a movie you got to be in the mood to watch. You feel me on that? So. To kind of yeah. start off the conversation, I'm going to be totally upfront and say a lot of stuff in this movie straight up went uh, went over my head. Like, f- in terms of the plot, in terms of the visual storytelling, like, it was definitely overwhelming and felt like a puzzle. And I think that this is a movie that would really benefit from me sitting down and watching it a second time. Oh, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think you can watch this movie, like, probably, like, five times before you feel satisfied Mm -hmm. exactly (laughs) so there's so much going on in it (laughs) yeah right dude and for a for a lot of people that can be like a reason why this movie sucks but it's done in such a unique and effective way that me wanting to watch it again is instead the feeling of wow i'm really interested in what i missed let me go back and see if it was actually there i just missed it the first time as to where there could be a movie that's like wow they just wanted me to see that again for like some reason of it's trying to really be cool but it's actually not this movie is definitely actually cool you know yeah yeah no exactly and i think that's especially what lends itself to like the earlier reviews that it got where it's a fairly mixed reception on its release Mm -hmm. people i don't think people knew exactly how to place this movie and so if you don't know how to do something right away of course you have to declare it being terrible Uh, that's (laughs) i've seen no issues with doing that throughout history at all so so let's you know keep it up yeah (laughs) like it's 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 genre defining in that way isn't it like isn't wasn't cyberpunk kind of invented because of blade runner that's that's kind of what i was picking up when i was researching it i i think i think so right it feels like it it really did sort of set forth like that um sort of accepted society that visual type of thing it's kind of like because it, it it the city looks like kind of like the one in judge dread mm-hmm. and almost every time we in a movie when we see like a super city like this in the future it's there's almost it's also followed by some explanation about how yeah the world's you know exploded and all this crap it's like we don't have that in this one yeah it's like society's had a normal progression yeah and it's it's i i really love that aesthetic of having really high-tech stuff but still having it be kind of like a slummy city you know dude and that's that's i think what's really cool about the world is how condensed that city is and how it feels like everybody's on top of each other and how whenever you talk about the future and technology you expect it to be like um the places that harrison ford goes later in the movie where the rich people live like you would expect the entire society to be like that but having it have like still have slums but people have like high-tech umbrellas it, oh yeah don't you want one of those umbrellas yeah right bro it d- doubles as, as a lightsaber but like i feel like that's like just a really low-key thing that really defines where everyone in this world is you know what i mean that like it's not a utopia in any way it's still life <coughs> people still act the same way you know what i mean yeah and there are, it's not even like sort of trying to define that point because that was another common theme that i think we see in these sort of futuristic sci-fi super cities it really isn't trying to say this is you know the best world ever it's just sort of you're left with a lot of different cultures mixed together 
and the movie shows that really well you know you've got that um the advertisement like of mm-hmm. that asian lady that we see quite often but it's always paired with the coke one yeah 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 too you know so it's like that, that i think is a good visual representation of the blend that we've got 100 percent um especially in a more sort of subtle context and now that we are sort of on the topic the world building is really um i think this is this movie does world building better than any other movie you know i i i agree with that but i i don't rush right into that point and the reason i don't want to rush right into it is because so much of this movie went over my head the first time that i'm watching it that i kind of want to define with you the way that visual storytelling is utilized in the best way because again i feel like someone could watch this movie and be like that had no plot it was just a ton of stuff happening but that's really not the case at all. Instead, it takes a lot of time in forming the world itself, and it does it in an extremely unique way, dude. Like, no movie that we've watched throughout this podcast explained its world and its plot in the way that Blade Runner does. Yeah, no, I think that is just almost in regards to every, in relation to every movie made, this one really is almost 100% showing you. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't tell you anything you know you have that quick blurb in the beginning that's what i was gonna say that's like the only part they straight up tell you something yeah and it's like okay they're robots that look like people um they're illegal the blade runners hunt them yeah that's about it yeah they, they, you pretty much get like <laughs> bro, bro they, they don't they, they don't they don't tell you who blade who brainstormed the name blade runner because that guy deserves a promotion <laughs> yeah right that's a cool that's a cool name yeah. i joined the blade runner task force <laughs> but yeah sort of there isn't any real character that's just like straight exposition um every time you see a character if they do give any exposition it's so natural and it doesn't feel out of their character to be doing it doesn't feel inhuman for them to be saying it that it you really i think that's what makes it so hard to watch um because it really doesn't highlight anything in particular to focus on it's like everything is incredibly important in this movie even though most of it is just sort of defining like this is how the shower works and these yeah. are how the blinds work. <laughs> yeah, no, str- like, straight up, dude, straight up, straight up. It really takes you on a trip inside this world. Um, and that's sort of something that movies, especially some are really bad at and some are really good at, is sort of like, how much do you think an audience can just accept? Yeah, right? Yeah, and I, I feel like I feel like that's a question in all movies, bro. That's movie. That's something. I've, that's such a huge factor you have to consider in whatever you're writing. You know, not even like movies, just media forms in general. What is the person actually consuming? You feel me? Yeah, and I think it is usually to the detriment of a movie to try to define it verbally, because then it's sort of like okay, when somebody speaks about something, we have particular points that they made yeah so so now we can cross-reference the exact words that they used with what we're actually seeing yeah that's like and i think in our first episode why i tore apart looper so much because it creates its own plot holes yeah 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 by having that conversation that 
is sort of explaining the world and the plot and what's going on. Well, bro, it, I, it's, I feel like it's funny that we did 16 blocks last week because our biggest gripe was that was that they wouldn't shut up. You know, they wouldn't shut up. And in this movie, yeah. they won't tell us anything. You feel me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're left to your own devices in this one. And I think... I absolutely... I, I don't think I know that I absolutely adore that because it doesn't feel like any type of story i've really seen before if you think about this one just because it was the first one to do it yeah like you you can believe the city and like the remake of judge dread or whatever because you've seen this movie before yeah like right you, you can i i see i see a point about akira i know it's like you can believe akira if you've seen this movie before yeah it's like that's sort of why i think this movie is so incredibly important because without defining the world therein verbally they left you to accept it and did it so well with all the shots they take because they're absolutely gorgeous shots the cinematography in this movie is just a one it's trippy bro it's it's honestly trippy how realistic everything looks all the models everything like honestly dude like I made that joke with Lighthouse. That's the definition of filmmaking. Like, I go, I think I would go as far to say that, like, Blade Runner is kind of the perfect interpretation of the medium of movies, dude. Because we've talked about it with a couple things. Like, we brought it up with Mary Shelley's um, about a month ago. Like, we were like, yo, if you're reading a book they have to spend so much time describing literally everything in detail while movies are about the spectacle of literally seeing it. Um, I, yeah. I feel like Blade Runner really capitalizes upon that idea and is like, yo, this is a movie. Let's show everybody everything like they're watching a movie instead of Harrison Ford having deep monologues or even with like, Dude, even I, I feel like with with the main bad guy, the main replicant, his yeah. motives were even a little undefined until you got pretty far through the movie. You 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 feel me with that too? Yeah, no, I think it doesn't become absolute till like definitely like the back half of the movie. Yeah, and th this is it's so gosh, it's so glorious. To yeah, <laughs> to sort of see that because I don't need. You know, on your point, I don't need somebody to explain to me the world I'm in if you can just show it to me. Like, that's why this is a good medium for entertainment. That's yeah. what the whole medium's about, mm -hmm. is that I'm just supposed to see it. And this movie, probably ahead of its time, honestly. Yeah, dude, I think this is like 1982, bro. That's mad long ago. And I think you brought up a very good point that we could go in um, into it now is sort of the actual plot just because visually that is kind of what we're sort of forced with to how we sort of define it. Yeah. And definitely it's sort of like everybody's moral intention, I think is way more up in the air. And I think this, this is going to be one of my weirdest claims because it's a sci-fi movie, <laughs> but this is like the most realistic plot in my mind one of the most realistic plots in my mind just because nobody is uh, a paragon like nobody is an absolute sort of moral entity they all seem incredibly human and by that i mean they seem incredibly flawed yeah okay i like so, I, I like where you're going i i, I agree with that so it's sort of like just 
off the top of your head, it's like who's who's the antagonist, who's the renegade, or who's the protagonist? I mean, you th- you would think it would be Harrison Ford, right? Yeah, right. Harrison Ford definitely feels like the protagonist, and I think he is ultimately. But who's the antagonist? You got well. You uh, when I did the intro, I would say that that Roy Batty is the antagonist of the movie. But I get the point you're bringing up that like, where are Roy Batty's like real intentions? Like, it's really yeah. just him angry at his creators for giving him the gift of thought and taking it away so quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah, they give him sort of everything like this, and then they rob it from him, which is, I mean, it's a very human thing to have anyway like when somebody dies if you're very young or something like that you know that's that's a very common thing um not only that we see in storytelling but in life is just sort of like what is this the point if you're going to give me something and immediately take it away especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to life yeah so that's kind of like it's hard for him it's hard to define him absolutely as like an evil guy roy just like yeah his methods are pretty terrible but is that really his fault and with the question that he's trying to get his own head around is that really that bad he just wants to really live he's been given so much he just wants to exist and he may on top of that he makes it pretty clear that he's seen some some stuff, you know what I mean, bro? Like, and he literally, yeah, literally oh, yeah. says that. That's that's well, that 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 right there is an example of him literally telling me that he's seen stuff with his eyes in a movie that focuses so much on visual storytelling. You know, that's where the the real contrast and the nuance of the movie is is being able to sprinkle it in enough, but not giving me not giving me all all that in in the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it even highlights it more because we're seeing so much in this movie. And then when we don't see something that is described that isn't like, really, it's not exposition. It's not really relevant to the overall plot. It just defines the character more. That sort of highlights its importance because it goes against sort of the common theme, you know, kind of like in old like Shakespeare or whatever, when it's like the the per the character breaks the stanza and like says a syllable or two longer than they should do. Like that's how, you know, okay, that's important because they've broken the form that they've set up. Yeah. So, so like for me, just sort of defining an antagonist, it's like, yeah, I guess it, it, it is Roy. It is Roy, but should I feel bad for him? Cause on the surface, on the surface, like, no, because he's, you know, kind of mean and murderous. But also, it's like, he's kind of been cursed, you know? Like, yeah. from the get-go, he was designed to be a soldier replicant yeah. and all that. And so, of course, he's going to react badly when he learns about, you know, his imminent death. Yeah, dude, in four, I mean, four years is such a tiny amount of time. And, um... Like geez, bro. Like like geez, I'm 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 I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, bro. Like this reminds me of the Frankenstein thing. How like the 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 
the curse of, of being conscious, bro. The curse of having thoughts in your head and knowing that you love stuff and knowing that you want things to get better for yourself and your peers and the people you care about and having it torn away. Like, how am I not supposed to be empathetic towards an antagonist when at the end of the day, he just wants to live longer? And if he did live longer, he might not be evil, dude. Like, the other... The other, yeah. um, the other, re oh, repl yeah. the other re replicant Pris, they're in love with each other, and although they're really weird and have, I'm sure they do plenty of kinky replicant stuff, whatever that, whatever you can define that as, bro. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, I told, I totally agree with you, dude, and like that is the nuance of a phenomenal villain, and you, you just, ah, as I talk, as I, as I talk about it, I realize how amazing this movie is at storytelling you know, <laughs> you, you know dude like no you described it well and i think that's an effective because you start you literally get drowned in sort of like defining these people or these replicants yeah like there's so much to go off of and yet there's so little there it's like it doesn't feel like it's rude it doesn't feel unnatural it feels like if i was going to experience this story in real life this is exactly how it would go. Yeah. Yes, exactly, dude. It, it doesn't, it definitely doesn't feel like it's following um, a, a plot structure at all. And what I kind of did want to comment on and talk about with you was those beginning scenes of the movie. I'm talking literally the first 20 minutes when we meet Harrison Ford, go through the thing, go to the hierarchy and you see um, the replicant who doesn't know she's a replicant. Like, I feel like that beginning yeah. that beginning part of the movie is when the plot is trying to be the most defined and give you stuff, but the conversations they're having are like super quick and you think it's stuff that really matters, then by the end of the movie it doesn't matter as much as you think it did. So I think that might have had something to do with why it was kind of hard for me to grasp onto the plot in the first place. But then as the movie continued and I saw that was just the way it's supposed to be told, that's when it clicked in my head. So yeah. yeah, so it's kind of like it's it's another one of those movies where if you shut it off in the first half hour, then you kind of did yourself a disservice because you didn't really get the point of the movie. So like, with you're left with like a bad taste in your mouth. Exactly. Whereas like you haven't even finished the meal. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, that's such a hard line to follow. And I think you and I are making it pretty clear that we think Blade Runner rides the line perfectly. But that line can even be open to interpretation because I can talk about at length with you the philosophy behind knowing your existence oh, yeah. if you have to die in four years. Or I can, like, strip it away and be like, wow, well, okay, visual storytelling's cool, but, like, do I really know these people? And it's like, if you if you look into this one, if you talk about it, if you figure out the philosophies behind every character, I feel like we could really go at length with, like, just how deep that is, dude, and, like... You want to talk about storytelling? Mm, good storytelling is when I don't want to shut up about it. You feel me, bro? In this yeah. movie, you don't want to shut up about because every conversation you have with one of your friends could unlock something new. How how unique is that for a movie where I'm just always unlocking new ideas and thoughts with it, bro? Like, Yeah, you didn't even think about it. There is something that I want to talk about um, just because this is sort of something that it's very hard to like – if you're talking about a movie, it's almost something you never want to talk about. It's sort of like the emotional weight of where the movie falls because everybody's going to experience emotional weight differently. Are you and are you talking about like how the movie feels to me or what happens to the characters and stuff? Can you uh, what, what, how it feels to you? Like okay, sort of what the feeling? It's kind of like Lighthouse. 
makes you feel unnerved, right? Yeah. I think that I feel like everybody's gonna have that, you know, to some degree. Most people that <laughs> 16 watch the blocks movie, makes you want to drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it's like sort of like doing that is incredibly difficult, I think, as an artist, because it's like a painter, you know. I don't think they have in mind what's this going to make people feel when they look at it. Like, no, it's more of like they're going to express their own emotions that they're feeling. You know, it's very weird in a genre where they sort of focus on the audience or they're trying to convince the audience of this point. And for me, I feel like this movie definitely, especially when it's your first uh, watch, you feel the same type of confusion that, the replicants feel mm, phenomenal point yeah because their whole thing uh the thing in this movie you know they're the model sixes they're the newest ones they the captain calls them skin jobs because they are as identical to humans as anything could ever be you know they just have the weird thing in their eyes and you know they're emotionally kind of robotic or whatever yeah this isn't very defined by that weird turing test they do <laughs> but um and so in this one, that's really just, I think, what the feel is, because the whole concept of them is they don't know that they're going to live for four years. It's like the secret that you can't get out. Yeah. Because they, you know, have emotional gravity like humans. So how they react to things, if they knew that, of course, something is going to, you know, alter the way they perceive life or the world or whatever. Yeah. Which is exactly what happened to Roy, which is exactly what happened to, um, gosh, what's her name? I feel it's terrible. Pris. It's Pris. 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 Yeah. Which is exactly what happens to her is she, you know, has so many questions like about just life in general because she figured, you know, she learned the secret that she wasn't supposed to learn. And that kind of, I think, as an audience member going into it for the first time, you're just sort of like, what? Yeah, yeah. And the, it's like, it's defining, defining something like that is something that takes an immense amount of detail to really get your thoughts across in a movie that uniquely uses detail. Like, the... The details are so unique that everything you're saying right now sounds so cool and awesome because I feel like I could watch it and not get that interpretation, but you could watch it and give me a thousand examples of that interpretation and even vice versa. Like if I was to really study this movie, I could come at you with a 20 page essay and your 20 page essay could focus on something entirely different and we're both right. You feel me? Yeah, no, exactly. There's so much left to interpretation and that's, I think a defining factor of why it feels so sort of realistic. See that this is, I knew this was going to happen because I brought up realism. Cause it's like this movie is so heavily grounded in sort of a realistic world. Like we don't see people like get shot and then they're fine. You know, yeah. like we see, we see people, we see robots get shot. They're fine for a little bit. And then they just absolutely get wrecked. Quick, quick, um, quickly on that, not to cut you off, but I made that point about the Terminator at the beginning of the movie. I feel like it really is super, super important that these robotic beings aren't robotic, dude. Like we're not talking iRobot. We're not talking death killers. They really get the point across that these people feel like humans. And if you kill them, you kind of just killed a human, dude. Like that's like such an important piece to the puzzle with the just replicants of this movie is how literally human it feels throughout the movie. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I feel like that's an no. important definition to no. make when you're talking about them, you know? No, that's incredibly important. And that's sort of the, 
the character development that we see with um Harrison Ford's Decker. Yeah. Like that that's exactly what happens. He and the the movie starts, you know, he doesn't want to be a Blade Runner anymore. He's done with it. Yeah. It's because, you know, he's seen some stuff, man, because he just, you know, it, it sort of feels like as the movie drags on, it's like he does feel like he's killing somebody every time he does this. Yeah. It, it isn't just something he can push back. And how he sort of starts to change from that, like, perspective of this is just a robot to this is like a thing with Pris. Yeah. Is that her name? On the IMDb, I was pretty sure that was her name. I apologize if I've been getting that wrong the whole time. Rachel, I'm ty- I mean Rachel. Rachel, yeah. Oh, Pr- Pris is the evil one. Yeah. Rachel, Rachel is the one yeah. who doesn't know she's the Rachel's the nice one. I'm talking about Rachel. She's the nice uh, one. Oh, okay, okay. Well, uh, everybody, rewind what we just said, then listen to it, and in your own head, say Rachel when I say Pris. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, but, well, okay, while we're on the subject of the two of them... How do you feel about that difference between Pris being the person who doesn't know the secret of their existence to oh, I, did I just do it again? Rachel, you did it again. I'm sorry. How do you feel about Rachel knowing not God <laughs> from the top? How do you feel <laughs> about Rachel not knowing the secret of being a replicant compared to Roy and Pris? Who know the secret because you know with the points you're making right now not to contradict ourselves but Roy and Pris do feel antagonistic because they feel like they need that revenge because they've been taken away from something compared to the complete other side where Rachel is kind of just struggling with it in a very more grounded way not with like all that violence and stuff so like how do you kind of feel about that difference in our replicants? Because it's not even that every replicant has the same experience, dude. Like, if every replicant came back to Earth and was like, guns up, boys, it's the apocalypse, we're going on a murder <laughs> spree. But it appears to really not be that straightforward. It's a lot more nuanced. It's it's the driving point befo- uh, to, like, defining them as having humanity. Because, <clears throat> I mean, for, for God's sake, Rachel saves Harrison Ford's life by killing a replicant. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> right? You want you want a contrast? There you go. There seems to, it, it shows it again because it showed you. It shows you um, the individuality that they have as beings. Yeah. It doesn't just leave you like, yeah, the robots, you know, this isn't just the one good one. Like, no, you really don't know what would happen to these robots when they're super strong and super smart. Um, You don't know what would happen if they just figured out something like, yeah, you've got only four years to live. And you don't know what would happen to them. Bro, that's so hard. Like, that's really so hard, especially when you really consider their intelligence. When you really consider the yeah. intelligence of these things and just the emotional weight that you literally have a lifeline that you're staring at, dude. And you would, dude, bro, give me, give me your rendition of the tears in the rain speech at the end, because oh my god, talk about capping off a character, bro. How do how do you really feel about that final scene in the rain with Harrison Ford and Roy? I think what that did. Um, was to that that exact same point that I brought up, because that that was the opportunity that Roy had to kill Harrison Ford. Yep. You know, and he doesn't take it. Rather, he sort of uses the time to show Harrison Ford 
even more so that he is an individual, that he wasn't just, you know, a machine going on a rampage, that he was trying to sort of have what everybody else has in their life. And you would you you wouldn't believe the things I've seen with these eyes, bro. Like talk about a statement, dude. Like that is real emotional weight from a character. That's not just some dude reciting lines to me and me being like, "Wow, that was cool." That's like some real real right there, bro. Looks like we're bleeping out twice in this episode, but that's some real, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not even like, yeah, it's not even like a robot character saying it, it feels so aggressively human. Yeah. For him to put all that, you you almost forget that that's what he is. You know, that and, he is yeah. And my point with the Terminator, if any of the replicants are going to feel like that robot death machine one, it's going to be Roy because of just the way that he acts throughout the movie. And even though those spots are justified, you, you have to acknowledge how he does act like that antagonist. So again, yeah, yeah. really phenomenal decision to have that be the final scene and just humanize the guy at the end because humanizing him is what capped it off for me to just be like, Oh geez, bro. We got an episode this week. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, I mean, I think even what, how you, what you said, like how he is the antagonist, it's sort of like, isn't that part of his design? Like he was specifically designed for fighting. Yeah. Like for combat to be a soldier, like the replicants are the ones that are put into the most sort of, harmful conditions just because Mm. they can handle it and because you know you wouldn't want to send a human in there because they would die yeah and dude like what you know something i also want to talk to you about was how undefined those conditions are like how the multiple planets and all that type of stuff feels super defined do you want to kind of give me some context with that stuff because that was definitely something that went over my head again Oh, yeah, how it's like you just sort of have to accept that Earth has colonies on other planets. And, yeah, it's not defined. It's straight up not defined. We're just on Earth, you know? Like, that's another super interesting decision. And um, when you want to talk about my favorite topic, screen time screen time management imagine if if this movie just wasted a ton of time on some planet colony that doesn't matter just because they wanted to show us a cool little place you know like it's masterfully picking and choosing exactly what to show us and when to show us it yeah and because you don't need to know that's the thing you don't need to know what planets earth is colonized you just need to know that Yes, it happened. That's the level of technology the world's at. It's all you you gotta know. And on top of that, dude, you know that it's very human-like in that things are going wrong because this replicant has seen stuff with his own eyes, bro. Like, just that statement right there, the thing, you wouldn't believe the things I've seen with these eyes. uh, Just, like... That's the moment, bro, when I feel like when when you're writing something and you have the long picture in your head and you're like, I want to build up to this moment. That was the moment right there. You wouldn't believe the yeah. things I've seen with these eyes. And that's just one piece of dialogue that we're really dissecting right now, bro. Like if we wanted this episode uh, yeah. to be four hours long, we could probably go from piece to piece and like really talk about it. You know, dude, like geez, just straight up geez. Yeah, and there that is another point. Um, <clears throat> there's another piece of dialogue I do want to bring up, just because it is in relation to sort of their own humanity, their intelligence. Is That's the scene with Tyrell with, and Roy. Oh, oh, when he um h- hits him in the eyes with the thumbs? Yeah, when he gives him, like, the old Oedipus thing. Yeah. that's uh, That, for me, that scene really i think throws this movie into like the next caliber of being excellent just because what you've got is 
so because we're you know we have the concept well understood it's very simple that okay they uh, die in bro, four totally years cook. like there's a point to that that make huh oh no sorry you you cut out for a second but you came back in i'm sorry all right well it's like the, the whole point that we sort of it's very easy to accept and grasp we understand why it's important because you don't want them to live too long in case you know they go rogue um and what you see in that scene is like him and Tyrell going back and forth to like solving the issue of being able to live longer. And it's explained like very scientifically back and forth through them. that it's just like, no, like the more you try to do something to extend the life, essentially they're going to get sick. Like no matter what you do because of like how much they can process and how like strong they are and all that that's only going to make them live for so long the the quote he takes from it is like the the candle that uh burns twice as bright burns twice as fast oh yeah 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 good point and that that really like not only just to say because i feel like most movies where if that was like the case they would just say that one line and it'd be over with yeah whereas this one they have like a little debate sort of thing so not only do you sort of get that that concept is actually grounded in sort of that kind of realism, but it's also more defining of their, of Roy's character too, or they're so smart or th this isn't just like i I'm going to go in and kill the guy that made me because life is bad. Meh. No, it's like, I'm going to find the guy and get a solution. A, so a solution. Key word, a solution. Yeah. And then he doesn't find one. So then he is angry with the world. It isn't, it doesn't, it isn't just a crazed robot, you know, that's had a glitch or whatever. They are very thinking and very calculating and incredibly human. And that scene really, I think has a similar effect that the one you're talking about at the end with the rain. It, it, it really feels like a curse, dude, you know? Like, I, I really generally feel empathy for the replicants. And in a robot movie where the bad guys are robots, that's something that, like, takes a certain amount of care in what you're showing. And I really just can't drive home the point enough that this is the definition of visual storytelling. And I just, I just, I, I, I'm not sure, like, I'm just not sure. That's 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 the quote. I'm just not sure, bro. Battling with my existence. Gotta love gotta love storytelling, am I right? <laughs> yeah. So let's uh let's move on to another point. A little off topic from actually what's going on is sort of like uh I know you told me before we started recording that this movie had seven different versions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw I saw in an article that there was a ton of different versions. There was like the workspace one that like was kind of uh, um audience trailer. There's like an international cut. There's a director's cut. There's a theatrical cut. There's just a ton of different cuts. And every single time, people were pulling the strings for Ridley Scott, being like, "This can't go in for that reason. This can't go in for that reason." And then I believe it was in 2007, Ridley Scott's final cut came out, and that's the one that is on um, HBO Max. We're gonna have and yeah. That, I, that's the one we watched. Hey, by the way, quick, quick, uh, quick thing. I hate HBO Max. I don't want to get into detail with it because I will start yelling. But HBO Max, get your stuff together. It's 2020, and you have the worst <laughs> streaming app with the best content. Anyway, we watched the final cut on um, HBO Max, and that's interesting because the final cut is the one that Ridley Scott 
was complete control over. This is how he wanted to tell the story, and I think that's really important to define, especially because when this movie first came out, it wasn't extremely critically acclaimed. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, is there a reason for that? I I don't know if it, like... I don't think that having the... I don't think that in the final cut, it would make it more well-liked back then. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel that. I don't think it would solve the issues that critics had. Um, but it is, you know, if you're going to watch it, that's probably the one to watch. You don't try and <laughs> need to weigh yourself Hey, bro, you, you know what I just thought of? If I'm not mistaken, The Thing came out in 1982, and that movie also was not acclaimed at all when it first came out because of how gory and gross it was. So we kind of thought that people just, like, weren't ready for something like that. In that same way, it kind of feels like this movie was so good that how could someone look at it and not like it? But it's so good because it was the first of its kind to do visual storytelling in this way. You know, like I, I, yeah. I honestly can't imagine how many directors Blade Runner inspired. Like it's it's got to be a handful of directors who saw Blade Runner and were like, oh, that is the kind of storytelling, the medium of storytelling that I really want to focus on. And it's so defining. I mean, if, if you've ever played Fallout New Vegas... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get the same gun that Decker uses in that game. Can you really? That's really funny. Yeah. Uh, Utterly hilarious how crazy the influence that this movie has for very good reasons because it's it's so so perfect. Yeah, dude, dude, Um, bro, even, dude, Cyberpunk is, like, coming out next year. That Keanu Reeves game, another tangent, dude. Stop putting actors in video games. I don't don't need the kid from Shameless to be my Jedi Knight, okay? (laughs) Anyway... That cyberpunk game, like, that kind of started with Blade Runner, if I'm not mistaken, bro. Like, 40 years later, literally something coming out that people were like, this is a cool aesthetic, let's do it again, right? Like, yeah. come on. We've got room to run with it here. Um, moving back to another topic, quick quick shift, um, just because I feel like we went so over so much in the movie. Um, All good, bro. Honestly, like, this movie's so good, I want to go over everything I possibly can with you. <laughs> that's what i love to hear let's talk about the eyes oh, we're gonna okay. probably get we're probably gonna get into the uh the conspiracy theories of this movie yeah bro you want to um how much knowledge do you have of kind of eyes being used in literary functions <laughs> you know what i mean because like the eyes are the window to the soul is what you're gonna hear a lot i feel like i feel like eyes are a really interesting thing that are such a reality in our world like what comes through the eyes the eyes are what makes people feel human when when you don't have something behind the eyes is when someone feels really kind of like creepy and off how do you how do you kind of want to start the eye segment because i think it's extremely interesting the way it's used in this film yeah it really is and as far as that goes it's kind of hard to tell because i think um at least from a theatrical standpoint eyes aren't used too much in theater just because you can't see them yeah so it's like they might use them verbally and they essentially do have that aspect of it's like explaining like what his eyes look like it's like clearly they sort of show more than you are but sort of in movies it's kind of very easy to show somebody's eyes and it's a very even still like even on a close-up shot it's still kind of a subtle thing that's how really important they are um and for this one it becomes almost a major point in the film 
what they do with the eyes, that shot they take. Which shop is specifically just on the eyes in general? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh sorry, no, no, I was totally off. To, I totally uh, <laughs> did, did, didn't explain didn't, it. Didn't, <laughs> didn't, didn't even didn't even bring up the point that they do in the movie. So it's pretty much every replicant that we see, their eyes do this orangey glow thing, which and looks super actually, creepy, by the way. That actually wasn't CGI. They actually positioned the lights in a way that really? it would reflect through the eye and back of the camera doing that so that actually isn't even like a cgi thing that's that's really that's, that's really happened. interesting i mean bro it was 1982 they had to like think back then <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> and so every replicant that we see they they do that at some point they have this eye glow thing where it kind of gets orangey um and so we use that, you know, okay, so we can, that's a sort of a grounded point because we see all of them do it. So that's defining. There is like one scene where people say that Harrison Ford's eyes do that. Really? I did not notice they, it off the bat. They, they glow. Yeah. It's literally for five seconds. Ridley Scott admitted that it was a mistake. It was an accident. Oh, um, well, kept, that that accident mistake has caused thousands of Wikipedia articles, really. Yeah, but <laughs> but he knew that it happened and kept it in there. Oh. So clearly he, want, he wanted it in there. He didn't, That wasn't his plan. Um, but I've looked at that scene, and I don't think, you know, you can say that just because cause people like to say that Decker is a replicant. You know, dude, in my in my opinion, when it comes to movies in general, is when it comes to that stuff, whether it be um, uh, like when we talked about Fury Road, you were like the conspiracy theory that like the kid is actually the dude or in yeah. when we talked about the thing, it was uh, the thing again. Look, these two movies are a little connected, huh? When we talked about the thing, it was super nuanced at the end if Childs was actually the monster. And I'm pretty sure when we discussed it, we were like, I'm not sure if that's really the point. If the point of this movie is really to define that. Or even in The Lighthouse, it's not really the point to define. When it comes to this movie, I feel like when it comes to the conspiracy theory of if Harrison Ford is actually a replicant, all these people, like... Yeah, it's fun to talk about that stuff, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's essential in any way. And so, obviously, it's fun to talk about, but when it comes to, like, narratively or or kind of what really makes the movie good, I think that, like, when it comes to stuff like that, you're kind of missing the point in a way. And I'm, I'm not trying to sound like a dead... Yeah. I'm not trying to sound like... No, a, oh, no, no. I'm not trying to sound like... Oh, no, you're not at all. Sorry, I'm, I'm stuttering. I'm not trying to sound like a Debbie Downer in any way. But I really feel like when you focus so much time on that, like if we just spent this entire review talking about if Harrison Ford is actually a replicant, then we're doing a disservice to the movie overall. You know the point? Yeah, it's not it's not really relevant. Um, it, it, it's a slight, it's a footnote on the story because it really is talking about sort of defining humanity. And it's like, that would be, it, it, you'd have a different view if you knew he was a replicant or not. Like, obviously, but that isn't really if you're focusing only on that, you're going to miss that whole conversation about humanity, you know. So and that's really, you know, that's not how people look at it. People just want to find like, oh, is, is he this? And just an example of that, because um, I was watching this with my roommate, too, and he's, he's not on the podcast, unfortunately. But um, or fortunately, really, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was I was like, have you ever seen Blade Runner? And he told me he hadn't. And then I was like, all right, cool. Do you want to watch it? He's like, yeah, but I know the whole point of it is, is Harrison Ford a replicant? 
Yeah, I was like, no. No, I was yeah, like, no. no. I was like, not. I literally was like, I scrounged my face. I was kind of like, not really. No, it's it's not about that at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's dude, like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's some it's something that people talk about, but it isn't the point of the movie. So stop poisoning people's minds. Bro, Let them watch I, the movie. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree, and I think we've talked about like on YouTube when there's a movie titled "Ending Explained" before. Oh and my God. what just like if if you want to look at movies and really focus on that stuff like power to you but for me and i i'm pretty sure you too since we agree so often on this podcast is that like i'm interested in the questions that it's gonna make me ask about my own life i'm interested in the way that the narrative is able to take us climax us put us in a spot i'm interested in all of that stuff over a conspiracy theory about him actually being a replicant. So to hear someone say that, it doesn't, it like, it bothers me a little bit because I feel like a lot of people watch movies in that way. You know, I think when we started this yeah. review, I told you I watched this movie once, but I wasn't in the mood for it. So I, I think I only watched like a little bit of it. And then I was like, I actually don't want to watch this right now. Like it's a heavy film. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a heavy film. And yeah, to enjoy it in a critical light and not to sound like too douchey about it, I feel like you have to focus on various things. So, like, I wonder if people generally know why they like this movie. And um, I would say that when I was younger, I didn't really understand why I liked movies. I just knew that I liked them. So I, oh, yeah. I would watch something and be like, that was a cool movie, but didn't really understand narratively what it was trying to do. Didn't really understand visual storytelling as a whole. So now as I'm in my mid-20s doing a podcast with you where we want to improve upon our storytelling structures and learning about how people do all these things, I feel like... That's not always the point for everybody. So I kind of just went on a little tangent there, but that's kind of what I look for in my movies personally. And that's why I enjoy doing this podcast with you because I know that you're interested in those story moments too. So Blade Runner is such a phenomenal film because of the way that it utilizes visual storytelling in a unique way that I just ranted about a podcast, that I just ranted on this podcast with you for like 55 yeah. minutes. And to encapsulate an entire movie in, well, it actually just comes down to Harrison Ford being a replicant, is just a disservice to movies in general, bro. Yeah. You, you, you know what I yeah. mean? You really bastardized the whole thing because – as we said earlier, the plot isn't sort of defined that way. It's not, there aren't, this movie isn't an absolute. There aren't the absolutes like in there. Yeah. And people need it to be absolute. I feel, I feel like that's what a lot of people want in storytelling is to know every single piece of it. And unfortunately it doesn't really come down to that most of the time, you know, like you, you don't need an ending explained video to understand the movie. You just need to talk about it in the right way. You feel me, bro? Yeah, exactly. Like it, it delivers so much to you with like the plot in general. You don't need to be looking for this other stuff. And it is fun too, but it's sort of like you're, you know, making your argument based off of a one accidental scene that looks visually like nothing, like none of the other examples in the movie. I don't I don't, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're yanking my chain on that. Yeah. It's, it's a hard drag, especially when it's like the most important scene, I think, to make that argument is the one with like the unicorn dream and then the unicorn origami. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because that's, you know, 
that's a clo- that's a dream. That's a closed thing. Only you can see your dream. It'd be cool if we could dream in co-op, but we can't. And so, <laughs> well, Skyrim so, would have been way more fun if we could do it in Dream World. <laughs> <laughs> but so, um, that I think is the best argument, and that's sort of like the point that kind of there are way better points to do, and I think it is a fun talking. Yeah. Point, but I mean, you can watch about a million other YouTube videos where that's all they do. So I didn't yeah. want to get too too involved in it, just to say that like that isn't the point of the movie, and stuff like that doesn't need to, like it really doesn't help necessarily as much as you think. When the whole point of the movie is sort of defining humanity. We don't need to know if Harrison Ford is human or not because we see his character change. Yeah. We see him have a change of heart towards the replicants. Mm-hmm. So knowing if he's one or not, that would be cool. Yeah. That's a cool thing to think about. But if you knew absolutely, it wouldn't be as good. We did have to go into this point, though, because we are going to do another episode, the special. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, we're doing um, we're doing 2043, baby. On the on the next one is it twenty forty three? I believe it was Blade Four and Runner twenty forty three. And guess what, everybody? It's coming out tomorrow. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. So you're welcome. But I know in that one they do sort of go over. Uh, it's a little bit different. I'll say that because I don't want to spoil it for Luke. Because I know I, I I saw it not too long ago. Yeah, dude. You know, just to kind kind of wrap up the the point that we've been making. Again, I don't want to sound sound like a Debbie Downer, but I'm gonna bring up the the a joke that I made during the Prestige way way back, bro. I was like, um, I told my friend Tyler we watched the Prestige, and he looked me in the eye and he was like. Big deal, they're twin brothers. <laughs> you know, like, okay, dude, you can look at it and, like, focus on that fact, and that's the only way you're going to define the movie. Or you can look at it and be like, wow, what does it mean to be a human? <laughs> Which is, like, yeah, so, no, so, it, it, so, it's so different, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun talking point. I'd love to go into conspiracy with, theory with you where we define different points and whatnot, but when it comes to reviewing a movie... I don't think it should be the thesis of someone's interpretation of it is, is Harrison Ford a replicant? You know, I just, I, I, yeah. I kind of want to hark on that point. Cause I feel like it's really important to me to just define to, to everybody else, how I feel about it. You know what I mean? Not that anybody yeah. cares what I feel about it, but you know what I mean, bro? <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. It just isn't the primary focus. And most times directors are doing things like that without an answer to give because it's it's neat but you don't necessarily need it and you're going to spend all your time finding it and find that it's like you just you got you got played man i'm sorry yeah there's no there's no definitive answer and if there was it wouldn't be as interesting you like it because you you don't know what's going on because it made me it made me think about something for more than 10 minutes bro yeah but it's like, if you're going to get on that one point, it's sort of like, why do you need to know that? Ask yourself that before you start searching so hard for that one point. Because most of the time, it isn't really relevant. It's either a mechanic or a plot device, you know. And that one is cool. I think this one is probably one of the better ones, just because there are, in a movie that's all about being subtle, there are only a few subtle hints that that is the case. Like, we know that there are six replicants but we only ever see five absolutely. Yeah. So somebody could be one, you know, and that's 
an interesting point, but at the end of the day, it isn't as relevant as most people think. And when you do that, you you don't really focus upon the character of Roy, and I feel like Roy is really supposed to be our defining character of what it means to be a replicant, you know what I mean? So if you're going to spend a ton of yeah. time not even focusing on the dude that we're supposed to focus on, what do you what are you really doing with the plot? You feel me again? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with that being said, Luke, do you have any any other points you want to bring up? This is a this is a phenomenal movie. This is a phenomenal movie. Let's say let's say I'm gonna knock on wood real quick. For whatever reason, if if any video files, audio files got got messed up or corrupted for whatever reason, we could do this podcast again, have it be the same length, and talk about completely different stuff. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah. I feel like I feel like that. Oh sorry, what were we gonna say? I was just going to say, this is the kind of thing you could literally write books on. It is based off of a book. I forgot the title of the book. It's, it's not Blade Something about sheep. Something about sleeping sheep or something. <laughs> yeah, being it's like, do robots dream about sheep or something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, I feel like you could write probably like four books just about the movie that we saw. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, there's, there's so much in it. Yeah. Just because it just shows you, you know, so a lot of it is less yeah. speculation. Yeah. So, but that is that's kind of the point. I feel like for movies. Yeah, and so <laughs> as as we wrap up the review, this isn't even a movie that needs a review for me to tell you that is good. This is a movie that I'm recommending people go and make their own interpretation of, and you can't say that about every movie. Yeah, you really you really can't, and this one. Hope everybody understands why this is one of my favorites. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, man, honestly, honestly, I'm g- I'm gonna rewatch this movie pretty soon, and I'm thinking that it's gonna become one of my favorites too. Because again, as I'm di- dissecting it with you, I'm realizing how much I actually liked it. And now that I have the knowledge that I do like it and missed a ton the first time, I'm actually excited to rewatch it and now understand the stuff that I didn't understand the first time. You feel me? Yeah, like going in knowing the whole world and its layout. Without waiting for that one piece of dialogue, they can't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's real life, man. You gotta be, you know, you gotta roll with the punches, baby. Uh, nah, so, you're right. You're right. The genre, I think it's pretty straightforward science fiction. Science fiction, and I did read that this movie, quote unquote, started cyberpunk. So let's say this was the first cyberpunk film and a sci fi de- defining movie. Yeah, so for those cyberpunk, it's kind of like uh, a gritty noir sort of aspect to it. Yeah, I'm. The, it was defined. It was defined as what I said earlier as like really high tech stuff in like a lower level of society where everybody is all condensed, and you can tell that life really isn't too great right now. Yeah. So. Um, would you recommend this to your friends? I would absolutely. I would absolutely, but again, movie you got to be in the mood for. You can't just switch it on any any time. It's a great movie to where if you've heard the podcast, you can watch it, tell somebody to see it, and they're like, I didn't get that movie, and you can make fun of how dumb they are. <laughs> Uh, so would you recommend this to your family? Oh, of course, dude. Well, it's, it, it was, it was Thanksgiving yesterday. It's Friday. My family's still here. I think I know what movie we're watching tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I would too. Cause it isn't, I don't think it's graphic. I don't think they show nudity, do they? Um, I don't think Maybe so. There might've been like scene, one, but I don't know. A nip slip in the strip club scene. But yeah, there, there, yeah, there, no. there is a a strip tease of Jason Voorhees. I'm pretty sure. There, <laughs> there is. Uh, there are no animals that die, so yeah, definitely make your family watch it. 
Um, is it a cult classic? Uh, this yep. is probably one of, if not the defining cult classic. Yep. Yeah. This is this. If you're going to talk about a cult classic, this is the cult classic. Um, is it a cinephile's must watch? Dumb well, question. You, dumb question. If, Nash, dumb if question. You don't know, if you don't know the answer by now, I'm not sure what else I can do for you. Yeah, bro. Um, but I, I guess if you are a cinephile, you know, what to look for in this movie is straight up the fact that it is all show, no tell. Yep, that was the main point I wanted to talk about was the aspect of visual storytelling and how effective it can be when done correctly. Yeah. <sighs> nah. So we doing music? Uh, I think I'll come, I'll, we, can, we can come up with something special for our Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving Blade Runner. Great, I'm gonna love to hear turkeys in the background. Oh, 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 so oh, oh. please be please be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. Follow us on Instagram to stay in the loop for upcoming episodes and help us determine the movies we watch and future content we can bring to you. Be sure to check us out at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com and remember your donations keep my blue light on. Uh, see you. Well, I don't know what regular episode we're gonna do next, but we are going to do. Uh, the new Blade Runner is a special for y'all just because I feel like more people have seen that movie um, recently than have actually seen the first one. Yeah, okay, facts, fair. Fair enough, I'm super down and excited. Yeah. Um, you know, Nash, it's, uh, it's too bad she won't live, but then again, who does, bro? Yeah, that was depressing. This wasn't a movie I could come up with some funny line. <laughs> <laughs>